0: Hi nonprofiteers. Welcome to Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, Tracy V. Allen, Nonprofit Strategist. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about giving you the knowledge, skills, strategies, and concepts to manage, build, and grow a nonprofit organization that will positively impact the community you serve.
1: Okay, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Biz Talk. Today I have as my guest my fellow colleague and friend in business, um Tykesha Boone. She is a nonprofit strategist. Taisha, could you um introduce yourself to the
2: audience? Hey everybody, I am Ty Boone. As Tracy said, I am a nonprofit biz strategist. I help new and underfunded nonprofits move from startup and struggle to sustainability and success. And it's not an easy thing. So, <laughs> it's not an easy thing. Success is a day by day journey. And I'm not going to like just talk it up right now, but that's what I do. I primarily focus on fund development and program development. So that's me in a nutshell. I've been doing this for a long time. I got a birthday coming up. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Um, I've been doing this for quite a
1: while, oh, you are, That's not Virgo, right? Yeah, yeah, like my daughter. My daughter's birthday is in September too. <laughs>
2: yeah. a bomb, right? Anyway, I'm, from, I'm from Greenville, Alabama, so I don't always speak correct grammar, but I'm I'm very smart, though. <laughs> very smart. I started my nonprofit work in uh, in research institutions, writing grants and things for research. Um, I've done a lot of work in clinical program administration uh i published a couple of articles in the in pain journals i was a psychology major so i did a lot of work with psychology and research so we started out with those big nih cdc type of things i got bored one day um i was working at actually undergrad i was working as a research assistant and i was bored i was in the office asleep <laughs> i was just asleep right and so my pi came through he's like hey what are you doing i'm like nothing i'm he asleep he's like oh you gonna help me write some grants, right? So then I kind of got started in the whole grant writing thing, you know, went to how to do grant writing classes and all that kind of stuff. Just kind of eased into that, you know, and then- I think that's um, how most
1: of us- Yeah,
2: yeah that's so how I, most
1: of us get into it.
2: You do this part, and I do this part, and then eventually you're doing like the whole part, and you're like, oh, hey, you ain't not even paying me enough to do the whole thing, right? But, you know, and you kind of roll over into the whole thing. Um at that time we had these, we had these partnerships with these community based organizations that were like all around the city. And we wanted them to, to partner and collaborate on some of the projects that we had. So one of my jobs was to go out and talk with these organizations and, you know, figure out if they're going to be a part of the grants and stuff. And they were not ready. You know, they were like, just toe up. And again, I'm from Greenville, Alabama. So I say toe up, that means you're not doing really good. So they were <laughs> they were toe up and I'm like, um. We can't make this work. And so, and that was really, really hard and really sad for a lot of these organizations because they really needed the funding. They really were passionate about the community, but they were the infrastructure was just raggedy. You know, just plain raggedy. Or well, you can't, you know, trust an organization that is not properly managing their funds. The programs look a mess. You really can't, if you're a big institution like a research institution that I was working in, and you're talking about tons of money that you're responsible for you can't really trust this organization over here who was really falling apart to bring them onto this program and and really give them the money or trust them to do what they're supposed to do with the money when you can obviously see that they don't have it all together but anyway after i finished graduate school um i went to work a couple of places and then i ended up at an a service organization where i was the director of education and outreach and i was kind of over that program Same kind of situation was happening with that program and with that organization, but we ended up getting some major funding just because of the programs that we ran. And I was like, you know, it's it's something up with this program situation, right? Because if you own your game with programs and services, that's where the money comes in. So I always say the pay is in the programs because you have these organizations who are doing events and kind of like those raggedy organizations that I read into the universities. It's like, look, you're doing events every week. So people are thinking that you're doing something. And when you get to the matter of it, you're not documenting anything. We don't got any records. We can't have any proof of any success. We don't know what kind of impact you're making. Yet you're having a back-to-school rally every month or whatever you're doing. So we don't know. But when I started to look more into the program, into the logic model, to what it goes into to the program piece to make the program successful, I started to it started to all click for me. Like, oh, you know what? If we can show some impact with these programs, we can get the money. And that's when the money started coming. That's me. Okay.
1: (laughs) Awesome. I love it. I love it. So, as you can see, that's what we're going to be talking today about. We're going to be talking about programs, building out your programs for fundability, basically, if that's a word. But (laughs) But we're talking... (laughs) Yeah, we're talking about building out your programs. That's like Ty said. That's where the money is. The money is in the programs, and coming along with programs is the logic model and data collection. Because data is king and queen of the realm. So we're going to talk about all of that. So Ty, take it away. Yeah, (laughs) and I'll just interject wherever Um, I, you know. So
2: what, like I was saying, you know, what I am finding to be like the killer, like the major killer of lots of new. Organizations is that they're not educated about programs, and they get their their approved for nonprofit, and they're like, okay, well let's do something to get some money. So whatever that something is, they don't really care what it is. It's like, okay, let's go out here, and we're gonna have a fundraiser, we're gonna get some money. And then when they start looking for funding, start looking for grant funding in particular. And grants are not the only way, you know. They don't have anything to say. So when you're applying for funding, the the, the RP is gonna ask you for certain things going to ask you, you know, what is your program about? And the day that you're filling out your grant application is not the time to figure out what that is about. And that's what, and that's what a lot of people are doing. They'll, they'll get the RFP and they go, oh, if this is about, you know, feeding elephants. Then today I'm going to say my program is feeding elephants. You know, they're, and they're going to change the next time just because they don't have anything solid. The very first thing to do before you even, before you look at a person to serve, before you start asking for money, is to figure out what in the heck you're gonna be doing and what programs and service you're gonna be offering and what does that look like in a what I call in what we call in this world of nonprofits and research, a logic model. Mm-hmm. You bring that together and you put the pieces of the model together first. Okay. So first you go, you know, what do I need? What are the inputs? What are those things? And it's just like a computer program. You have inputs. <laughs> what is the information that we feed into this Program in order to produce, and everything that you're doing is centered around these long, these results that you have at the end, this impact that you're trying to make, these outcomes that you're trying to. Make. So, what do we need to put into this program to make it work? Do we need staff? And, and the, the the glorious part about this whole logic model thing is that it helps you to create the budget, and the budget is also like a, the hard piece for people. I don't understand budgeting. I don't know how much this thing cost, But guess what? If you have your inputs and you know what you need, you know how many of them you need you know what it costs, you know, you know what your space is gonna look like and you have all that and you pour it into the inputs because if you're gonna have ACT prep, for example, and you ain't got no ACT manual, how you gonna have the ACT <laughs> prep? <laughs> <laughs> so, and you have to know all this stuff up front mm-hmm. so that when you're getting your proposal, and you're, writing, you're trying to figure out, well, dang, I don't even know how to write my justification in this budget because I don't know what's supposed to go on here. You go back to your logic model. Right, and you go. Oh yeah, I did say I need this, and I need three staff members, and I need this, and so you put all that there. What are you gonna need for that work? And then you have your processes. So we don't just got a whole bunch of supplies and a whole bunch of folks and a whole bunch. Of what are you gonna do with them? So once you get these people, and how, first, and how are you gonna get them? So all that stuff is in the input If you need somebody to recruit them, how you gonna call them on the phone? What's up? you're gonna do Facebook live I don't know what you're gonna do but how are you gonna get these people and then when you get them what are you going to do with them what does the onboarding look like for your participants or for your clients and the people that you're serving you know we're just not what does that look like you can't just randomly pick people and I I taught you know and I skipped that whole part but I taught at a couple of like actually several, like 10 <laughs> online universities and colleges. And I taught um, statistics and research evaluations, program evaluations. So what are you going to do when you get these people in here? What does it look like? What are you going to walk them through to make this difference? Because we're also looking at evaluation in the program. So what are you going to do? What does that look like? If you're saying that you're going to increase test scores, what does that process look like? After you bring them in there, what are you gonna do? Are we gonna have work have a series of workshops? Are we gonna have programs? And think about the fact that an event, and this is where we're losing people, that an event is usually a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Right now, everybody is on your own change of behavior, you're on changing attitude, you're on raising awareness. If you do something one time for 30 minutes, you ain't changed nothing. You know, you change what time of day it is. It's it's no longer 1230, it is 1245. <laughs> and that's all you change. You didn't, you didn't make a difference in the person that you said you were gonna serve. And how do you know how you know how you're supposed to structure this program? You gotta do some research, right? And we got we don't want to do research because research is that's probably why I went to sleep when I was a research assistant, because <laughs> research is boring. Research is really boring for the most part. But if you're going to ask people for to give you their money to take care of something that you want to do, you want to give them information based on evidence, not on assumptions. And what we are doing, what a lot of us are doing, we're bringing in these programs and we go, you know, we're going to have a workshop on Tuesday, every Tuesday of the month, you know, and it's going to take four sessions to get this done. How do you know that? How much research have you done to show that this is how this works? Because what you have to do, and I know you guys hate it. I know you, have, you hate it, right? I remember being being a research assistant and before the computers had everything. And put actually pushing the cart down to the dang old library, pulling out these dang on research art journals, reading them, copying them. And I'm like, what is too much going on. But how do you know that what you're doing works? Because it's been statistically proven that this kind of thing works. And if it hasn't been proven yet, it's your job to prove it. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to do? How are you gonna make that happen in your processes? And on what grounds do you have to prove this? So if you say, well, it hadn't been proven that four, that four, you know four classes work but i know that four classes work where did you get that from did, did, did you, you made a test yeah, yeah did you make that up did mm-hmm. what how did you do a focus group did you send out what did you do you pilot something what how do you know that worked? Mm-hmm. first of all because i gotta trust you enough to give you my money right and the only way i can trust you if you give me some evidence i want something solid because you can tell me anything mm-hmm. right so you have your inputs you have your processes you have your outputs, and that's the stuff that you get as a result of these processes and inputs. So if you're going to put me into a, if I'm going to put all the material and supplies and the staff and all this stuff, and I'm going to onboard you and I'm going to bring you into a program, I'm going to walk you through a certain thing. What's the result of that? What happens as you just, you know, as far as events go, you're doing events and they're not having any results. So if your result, if you're supposed to increase STD awareness, and you're just jumping up on stage and say, hey, you know, just say no. How do you know that I'm not having unprotected sex when I go home? <laughs> you, know, you don't know that because you're not, you're not following me. You, you have no idea. So how are you going to know for a fact that what you told me or what we did in this program of yours actually made a difference? Because we're going to do something called evaluation that comes with the, outcome, with the output, right? And you're going to do that. And then how are we going to know that, we, that this really matters? because you're gonna be able to communicate your impact. And when you can't do that, I mean, we got people who are saying, I need, I need a house. They come in and say, Ty, I need a house for, you know, wayward kids or something, they'll come. And I go, oh, okay, cool. So how many people haven't served already? Like nobody, yeah, I haven't, I haven't served anybody, I ain't done nothing, but I need a house. Ha- and I saw this house over here on, you know, in Greystone and it was $2 million. And I need for you to write me a grant for this house. And I go, uh, oh, really? What right. does your program look like? What did you right?
1: To- because they were told that because they have a nonprofit organization right. that they're going to be able to get a, a grant. Right. So now it's your turn to tell them that, hey, right. that's not how it works. You got to take some steps back. And we need to develop programs. We need to have some steps, some systems and processes in place before we can get there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they get mad. They're like, no, because I got my 501 three. So you should write me a grant for this house. Right. What is happening in the house though? Are you living there? I don't know. <laughs> what, what does the program look like? You have this house, you know, hypothetically. What does, what happens? Who's going to be in there? What are you going to be doing with these people once they get there? How are you going to get them there? Have you thought about how much is that going to cost? You know, those things that you have in place that you put into, you throw into your, your model and your budget, from the beginning makes it a whole lot easier when you're asking for funding, when you're wanting to write a grant, you're going to, you're going to build upon the models that you have. And, but you know, the thing is that we're missing that we're just going in with a piece of paper and say, Hey, I got a nonprofit. So give me some grant, give me some, give me some money. You have people who are fundraising, you know, a a lot of crowdfunding and things like that going on online fundraising, asking for money to support programs or things that they're calling programs. And when you look into the program, there are no results. There's no service. And then you go, well, how can I serve if I ain't got no money? Right? You can do something. You can, you can do something with a $25 Walmart gift card that they gave you to, serve, to serve, start serving your population. Because what's going to happen? When you apply for funding, they're going to want to see that they have a good return on their investment. They're going to want to know that you know how to take care of their money and that you know how to grow it. Because what happens if you can't get a continuation and you ain't got no more money? Do you stop serving the, the people? Like, oh, we ain't got no more money, so y'all can't eat no more. You know, that's not, that's not it. What are you going to do when your fundraiser is over and you raise $10,000 and you don't know what to do next because you didn't diversify and you have a program that you're not re- producing any results from? So what are you going to do? You got to do the work to produce the results. And if you don't do the work, then you're not going to get the money. That's just black and white. Like Uh my shirt says developer die." And I I wear it like all the time. So I didn't mean to wear this. But it says developer die. And you you, you have to develop your program, but you have to know what pieces go there in order to make it work. And you have to be able to walk it out, you know, not just on paper, but you have to start implementing some things. The whole thing about, you know, program planning and, and management is about, you know, planning, implementation, and evaluation. That's the whole, that's the whole thing you have to know whether or not it works. I today they right here in my city where there was a school program that was intended to, to uh, help kids you know, do better and it's gonna skip them over to the next grade when they were falling behind or whatever. And the superintendent says that the program ended in 2016. Here we are in 2018. But you have 12 kids who went over to ninth grade on last week, and yesterday they found out that they had to go back to eighth grade. Yesterday, for
1: a program oh, yes. that was supposed to. Yes, read that article. Be- you put it on your Facebook page. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I'm like, what happened with first of all administration, yeah. and then this program that obviously did not work. There was no one there evaluating the effectiveness of this program, or even taking the time to evaluate whether or not all the pieces of the program were in place, because they were saying that well, these kids missed the semester of eighth grade work. So who is there evaluating the program to know that, hey, we're in second semester. We need to be having eighth grade work and, and did these kids pass the eighth grade work by the time the program was over? So you can't just get out there and get this funding because you've got to manage the funding. you got to manage it. That's the hardest part. It, it's not even getting it. <laughs> the hardest part is knowing what to do with it when you get it you have to follow your model and if you deviate you got to let the fund know what's going on but you got to produce the results that you said you're going to produce and if you're not in it to do that to do the work then just don't get in it, <laughs> That's it. i agree
1: i completely agree um when you say that um Someone dropped the ball and I see that happening in a lot of nonprofit organizations, because contrary to popular belief, schools are nonprofit organizations, Um, (laughs) y'all. They are fundamentally, they're nonprofit organizations. So um, I see a lot with small nonprofit organizations that we work with that even though, yes, they do get the funding they don't know how to manage the money so sometimes the program isn't finished they have a 12-week program but because they didn't budget for the monies that they have halfway through the program mm-hmm. they're like oh wait a minute we don't have any more money to pay the staff or we don't mm-hmm. have any more money to mm-hmm. buy supplies but you got enough money to fund the entire program but mismanagement mm-hmm. of funding is the problem um and ty and i were talking before we started this um this podcast. And one of the things we talk about is that you don't know what you don't know. So if you have never managed a um, nonprofit um, program before and the budget and everything that comes along with it, you need to reach out to someone who has managed one in the past and find out exactly how to create that budget to make sure that you are keeping, you're accountable for all of the monies that were given to you. Like Ty said, when the funders give you their money, they're expecting a return on on their investment and the return on the investment comes in the form of the data that you collect from the programs she, like she said too you're not going to say hey I'm offering a GED program, and you have one class, and bam, we're done. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, <laughs> you know? It's, a pro, it's an extensive program that goes over a period of, of time to effect change. Change comes over time. It is not one time, and you're done. Like I said in one of my podcasts before, it takes a human being at least a 1,000 hours of academic, and physical, um, physically doing whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing to become an expert in that area. It takes time. So to become an expert, if you decided you wanted to be an IT professional, it would take you about a thousand hours of doing, building a particular software, doing coding, all of that stuff in order to effect change. And if you stop doing it, for years, then you're going to forget some of the stuff. So another thing with your programs, one of the evaluative um, tools that I always tell people is to go back and check up on your clients after the program is done. So if you are doing, like you talk about programs. So if you're doing a program where you're doing, say, job career preparedness, um, and people come into your office and you help them maybe with a skill, maybe they need to learn from basic computer skills. Um, so you help them with that, then you help them to build a resume, and you help them to find a job. Is that it? Are you done? Your data doesn't stop right here. Right. Your data doesn't stop. Yeah, stop. <laughs> right. So they got the job. Did you check up on them to see if they're, if they're doing well on the job? Is it a good fit for them? Were they fired because they were coming late all the time? Were they fired because um, they couldn't find babysitters for their um, children? You know, what was going on? If the person had a problem with coming on time during your program, More than likely, they're going to have the same problem when they go on the job. If they had a problem with babysitting when they were coming to the program, they're going to have a problem with babysitting when they go on the job. But these are things that you need to think about. And what does that mean? To me, if you have a a cohort of students that are constantly coming late, or you've run this program over time and you can interject anytime you want to time. You're running this program over time and you're seeing the same thing with single moms of two or three children that they're always late um, because maybe they don't have transportation. Then maybe you need to develop a partnership with the Department of Transportation so that you can get them bus passes. So they don't have that excuse anymore. You ain't got no money, I gave you a bus pass. It's for a month. You should be here on time. <laughs> you know? Um
2: you're having I said that's uh, what I call a hidden programs. Exactly. You them, oh my, exactly. And then you oh my gosh, then they need babysitter or they need transportation. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So that's gonna give me a chance to build like you said build my partnerships with the community because i'm I'm not gonna mm-hmm. leave my mission of doing what i'm doing mm-hmm. but now i have i'm gonna have the opportunity to collaborate we can build a whole coalition around the need of these clients you know that need these certain things now if you only got one person and she ain't got no babysitter that's on her but if you got a, if it's a recurring theme and you're seeing that hey this is something that a lot of my people are missing they need babysitters or they need transportation that's your hidden program. And you go guess what? When you're writing your proposal for the next time or you're working with the organization across the street that provides transportation, you be like, hey y'all, let's let's connect. Let's hook up. Because y'all are a little bit stronger than I am anyway. Y'all already got transportation and max buses and whatever. How about we hook up and I provide this service for these people over here, but they don't have any transportation. So in this proposal to the Department of Transportation, <laughs> we're gonna write, we're gonna write this grant together. And we're gonna provide this and you're gonna provide the transportation. And and that's how you come together because the funder wants to see, and they're not just trying to give you all the money because you're not the only organization in town, right? They're wanting to see that they get the biggest bang for their buck. So when they see you're making really good connections and really good partnerships, really good collaborations, they wanna give you money then because they can not only just serve you, they're serving another organization in your community or somewhere else at the same time. So you're making a bigger impact with your program okay. because you're doing this thing as a joint venture. Right, and that's why you have to look at your programs
1: with a wide with a wide lens. It can't be a narrow lens. You have to look at it with a wide lens because like Ty, Ty said, when funders are looking at your programs, they wanna see that you're collaborating. You need to find every single, pro- let me tell you, no matter what program you are running if you run that program correctly you will find hidden programs you will there's just people are not one-dimensional that's not who we are so mm-hmm. when you start running your programs you're not just looking for the outcome that you had written for that particular program you're looking for the nuances mm-hmm that will come up with the people, the human beings that are in the room. And that is how you build your partnerships out. That is how you collaborate with other nonprofit organizations, other small businesses. And that is how you make those partnerships to build a stronger program the second time and get more funding, not only for yourself, but for another organization, you
2: know? Mm -hmm. For them, and you're filling the gaps. And a lot of times we get like so territorial about our stuff. And uh, and sometimes we, we we don't even afford to be a territorial because I'm like look, girl if your stuff not working for you and nobody wants your stuff right <laughs> I'm sorry nobody wants that anyway but we get so territorial I don't want to share my program I don't want them to know what's going on the objective is to fill in the gaps and and you talked about this a while a while back when we talked before about doing that preliminary research so you could know hey what's missing out there what what do I have they don't have what do they have that I don't have but you want to ha- let the community know what you're doing. You're getting these programs that you think you have, and you're hiding them. You're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, because they might steal my idea. Yeah. No, nobody wants it. Okay, an idea is an idea. Nobody. nobody wants it. if it's not working for you, and not bringing you any money. They don't want it. And then secondly, if it is bringing you money, and you can replicate that, and it becomes generalizable, you stepped up on a gold mine. That's what mm-hmm. you. In research, if you've done something that can be repeated and that could prove results over and over and over again, and you could take it from Alabama and put it in California and take it from California and send it to New York, you've done something huge. Hello, so you that's called franchising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get it out. You want to publish this stuff. You want people to know what you are doing because so somebody can pick up on it. I remember working on a project called Beauty and Knowing, and I talk about it all the time because it's my favorite. And years after working on this project, I'm talking about years. I was gone from the organization. The Surgeon General tweeted something about the project, and I was like, Ah! I saw that project. I was like, all you know, crazy and stuff, right? But the thing about that project is that before I wrote the the grant for that particular project, and I was doing HIV prevention education, and at the time we were focusing on African American women. I had to do all this research, and, and we were we were talking about the fact that African American women liked to be in social gatherings, that you know, at the time, and and beauty salons at the time. That was like a long time ago. And and this <clears throat> there was a research study that was done like in Washington D.C. somewhere, where they were given compacts on Monday because the beauty salon was not open on Monday, and they were bringing women in, and they were you know fixing them up and they were talking about heart health cardiovascular care stuff like that and they were giving them this little compact kits that had a little makeup in it but it also had some stuff in there where they can check their blood pressure and all this kind of stuff and i'm like wow you know that's kind of cool what if i did the same thing for hiv prevention same kind of thing but instead of giving them stuff about heart health we'll give them stuff about hiv and safe sex and we'll educate them and they'll come back up our there we are years like i mean we got like tons of funding from everywhere which started out to being like little like little pharmaceutical sponsorship ended up being larger foundation grants and then we got in on some state pass through money and then we got federal but but this same one little program right (laughs) one little program that initially ended up you know first was like a three-page proposal then it ended up being a 30-page you know (laughs) proposal because the bigger we are the bigger we got so we had to make it bigger and it all came from this little, just one little piece of <clears throat> information that shows that hey, women like to do this, and if they like to do this with this, and there's some connect, some um, you know, some correlation between this health pro- problem and that health problem and whatever, we can put that together and make a program. So you have to be creative now. And I'm talking to um, you know, eds who are also founders, and we see a lot of that. Like you know, we see a lot of eds who double as founders. And a lot of times you guys are starting like by yourself, which you shouldn't because this is supposed to be teamwork you know, you're a public charity, and you're supposed to be public, but you're you're starting this stuff by yourself, and you're failing to do the research that you need to do to make your organization legit enough to get the big money and that's the you know when I was talking about working with the research institution and having those community based organizations who were really desiring to be a part of the big money but couldn't get it's because you have to make your organization legit. You have to make it legitimate. You have to get in here. and You have to do the research. You have to be able, if you want to be with the big dogs, you got to put on big dog clothes, right? You got to get out there and you sure. got to get, you got to, what's that? You, you can't hang with the big dogs then stay on the porch because you got yeah. to. You have to be able to compete with them because the funding is competitive. You're coming in and you say, well, I want $5 million for a house. And you tell me you ain't serving nobody. And you tell me you ain't got no program. And then you have the organization down the street who wants another property. And, you know, and that's another property because they've already gotten some money through their donor base and they know how to do all this stuff and diversify, right? Mm-hmm. And they come to me and they say, I need a, another house and this $5 million. Guess who the funders going to give the money to, to them, mm-hmm. because they have shown that they are financially, they're fiscally responsible. They know how to manage some money. They know how to pay the rent. <laughs> they know how to get more money in you have not shown that mm-hmm. you haven't served anybody and you don't want to diversify because what they're doing at startup is diversifying and they're continuing to diversify so they have a combination mm-hmm. of fundraising they're growing their database their, their donor base they're they're creating products and services that they can sell that's related to their mission they're getting out there they're advocating they're raising awareness they're making some noise you sitting over here like i oh, i need a program and i want a grant and then that's it but there's no there's nothing going into the program that would encourage anyone outside of your organization to give to you because they can't, they can't trust it yet. So you have to build on that. And when you're creating these programs, you want to create something that's realistic because there's a starting point. And I stop here. Life there's a starting, you know, there's a starting point to your to your programs because <clears throat> what you, the 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 grant that I was talking about. We started out small because we've had to work with what we got, what we had, you know. So when you're proposing something, you're going to start with what you have, and you're not going to propose that. Hey, I'm going to serve three thousand people, you know, today. It, it, you're not because they're only going to give you five thousand dollars, so you can't serve. The 3,000 people with that, but you go with what you have and you grow from there. And once you learn how to do that, then it makes more sense to the funder.
1: Exactly. Um, it's, about, it's about trust. And um, far too often, um, like we said before, nonprofit organizations start up with the intention that their only source of income is going to be grants because that's what they've been conditioned to hear is that once you get your 501c3 you become um a nonprofit organization and you're eligible for grants but that mm-hmm. is not what makes you eligible for grants the programs the programs and services are what makes you eligible for grants running effective programs and services having the data to prove that you your (laughs) programs and services work you know (laughs) exactly having that data developing your systems and processes this is what makes you fundable Mm -hmm. not just having a 501c3 anybody can fill out especially with the 10 um the 1023 easy. Sure. Anybody can fill that out and get a, 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 um, a 501c3 in the next three weeks. But do you really have a nonprofit organization? I think not, because that's not what makes a nonprofit organization. A nonprofit organization actually impacts the community it serves, it effects change within that community. And not change for now, but change that goes down generation after generation after generation. Let's just bring it back home to what everybody else, everybody here knows. Everybody knows about the why, and everybody knows about boys and girls club and everybody knows about big sister, big brother. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Big brother, big sister, whichever. I don't know which one comes first, but everybody knows about those programs. And the reason you know about those programs is because you know, probably know someone who's gone through one of those programs and they tell you how that program saved their life. I am not dead. I'm not in jail because mm-hmm. I had the why, because I had big brother, big sister, because I had, um, girls and boys club, but why just the existence of the organization is not what saved their lives. Mm-hmm. It's the programs and services yeah. that they have.
2: Great analogy. <laughs> Great. <Perfect. laughs> Everybody you I mean you have NBA stars who are like if it wasn't for the one yes you or something. If it wasn't for Boys and Girls Club, I don't know where I'll be. Not mm-hmm. just because they got the name Boys and Girls Club or it's on somebody's, you know, five of one secret determination letter. Mm-hmm. But what happened, you know, what was the process? What happened with them at the Boys and Girls Club that changed their, their whole life? And when you could do something life changing that's where it is that's what the funder is looking for they don't care that you can that you can have an event and a hundred people can come or a thousand people can come if nothing changed what's was useless yeah
1: nothing changed and the thing with that too when we talk about effective effecting change over a long period of time for generations after generations so when we take it back to like the boys and girls club and why and stuff like that like you talked about denzel washington you said i think went through why was I it why i think it was boys and G- girls club for him okay boys that. let's say it was boys and girls club i know mm-hmm. that famous black um ba- ballerina she learned at the i think it was the why but anyway those two i know for a fact a lot of african-american and hispanic um athletes and um entertainers have gone through those programs mm-hmm. and guess what happens when you truly effect change guess what happens those people now back. become your donors <laughs> wow. they, back. they become you your donors them. they grow up they become successful and they're like they remember every time they get on an interview and they tell that story Someone is sitting behind that television going, wow, okay, I didn't really know about this program. I didn't realize how effective these programs, that um, particular organization could be. They become a donor. That person who's telling the story is donating back to the community because they appreciate the change that it caused in their their lives. Now I'm making $50 million a year, (laughs) you know? Because I so wasn't right. the why <laughs> Exactly. So you, so you have to say, think about okay. it. Right there, like, hey. that. Exactly. Now they make $25 million a year. That's, that's, what you, that's a huge return on And these investment. are stories, not only that, too, on the um, organization's end. These are stories that that organization can tell to help um, mm-hmm. g- um, garner new um, funding for their organization as well. These are impact mm-hmm. stories impact stories and these some of these same people and i'm not just talking about celebrities i'm talking about people who become doctors they become teachers they become construction workers they become something in life it doesn't have to be let's be very clear i'm not just talking about people who become millionaires i'm talking about people who are grateful for the fact that they did not end up in jail like half of their other friends Or they did not Mm -hmm. end up dead on the street like their sister, their brother, their aunt, their cousin, their neighbor. These are the people, just people who appreciate the impact that the um, organization had on them. And they're willing to come back and tell those stories for the organization. Mm -hmm. When you're having an event, they're willing to become keynote speakers. And they're not charging you anything because this is their way of giving back. They're willing to come in. They're willing to run an after-school program. No charge. They got some extra time on their hand. They're willing to come in and do a workshop for you. Programs are the bloodline of funding. Yeah. If you don't understand anything else here today, remember you got like I like to say, develop or die. No develop or die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. You need to develop or you're going to die. Your organization will not be funding. Be funded. And I like she talked about the logic model. And I like to um, revert the logic model back to um, the strategic plan. So the logic model is the strategic plan of programs and services. (laughs) (laughs) Like, seriously. And if you are not working with a strategic plan for your organization, fix it today. Fix Mm -hmm.
2: it. Fix it. Like they say, fix it, Jesus. Fix it. (laughs) And I wanted to go back to the why talking about that. The, the thing with them is that, that when they started, they started for sustainability. That was mm-hmm. the purpose. They didn't look at okay, this is today, and then if this is over when President Trump is no longer president, then we can't have the organization anymore. They, they saw their need. They knew what the need was. People having children every day. <laughs> you know, that ain't gonna stop. That's something that's gonna keep on going forever. And I don't care what they come up with, what kind of cloning, whatever. People have children every day. That's what to do. Right, so they knew that, hey, if we start this organization, this youth organization, there's gonna be some kids somewhere who needs what we have for generations to come, So we're not just building this because there's one person down the street who is who is hungry, and that's what a lot of us we're doing that. It's like, okay, my neighbor needs some food, so I want to start a nonprofit organization. My program is going to be to give food to somebody, and then you find out that your neighborhood is is can't even, don't even fall within the poverty line. You're trying to serve within your neighborhood. You can't get no funding in your city. Because, I mean, I've, I've actually served organizations like this. where you can't get no funding in your city. You're trying to get funds and they go, well, you know what? You don't meet where your building is or where your organization is incorporated. We can't give you any money for that because you don't meet the criteria for what this funding is for. And we're not doing the research ahead of time. but. You know, places like the Y and, and Girls and Boys Club, they build for sustainability because uh-huh. it, the, the idea and the concept that they had is that, hey, kids are going to be here. We mm-hmm. all folks back. kids going to be here. You know, kids are still going to be here. So this is something that can go on and on and on and on. We can build in new programs. We can take a new approach to it. We, I mean, whatever they got to do, but it's the kind of program that it is. It can evolve with the time. So you want to be able to look at your program if you want it to be long term and you have to build sustainability if you want to keep getting the funding. You got to be able to kind of bend with the trends and still make it fit into your mission. But you have to think about that on the front end. Okay, well I can't build something that's you know after 2018 is no longer going to be necessary because after 2018, if it's no longer necessary. I ain't going to be able to get no funding for it because nobody's going to see the need for the funding. So you have to continue, always educate yourself about the trends. When I worked at the AIDS service organization, before I left, the HIV trends kind of went in a different way. So at first, when I got there, it was all about prevention, education, prevention, because at the time, HIV was this huge death sentence. It's still stigmatized right now. It's still You know, still, you know, still a scary thing. But when I got there, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, everybody's gonna die within like a day or two if they get (laughs) really HIV. So what are we gonna do? We gotta, we gotta get in here. We gotta prevent this disease like right now. So we were, you know, we were going on HIV prevention and then something changed, right? Magic Johnson came to town. Really, Magic Johnson came to town. He was like at the, he was at the AIDS service organization down the street. He was selling his little pills like you can take. They were taking like a hundred pills at a time before Mr. Johnson and them came up with this little thing, right? So you they taking like a hundred pills, they got all the all the regimen messed up. Folks were just dying, just all of, you know, just gone. But then he popped up and was like, hey, we can get this Travada or whatever this is, and we got this one pill that can take care of all this. We can get your cell counts down, we can get you, we can get you ready to go. You get we, right. we, we, we and they started living longer, right? Yeah. So when they started living longer. Then the funders are pulling out, of, pulling money out of prevention. They said, like, look, but they get it. They can treat it. So it's cool. We're going to put our money in treatment. In treatment so you right. have to follow. We're going to put our money in treatment now. So what did I have to do as the director of my department who was so focused on prevention education? We were still in that. I just. I'm like, yeah. We're you know, we in treatment now, dudes. we in treatment, y'all. Come on. Exactly. So let, me come up. let me go do a little research on these treatments. Let me call some pharmaceutical companies. Let's wrap this this way. 'Cause now we gotta go to treatment. Now we gotta help people we gotta tell people about adhering to their treatment and going to doctors. Let's see if we can get some, some linkage to healthcare around here. Mm-hmm. So we can take the, so they can get treatment. We're gonna we going swing over there. Cause now we still gotta get money. I still got staff to pay. Right. So you gotta be you gotta build for sustainability and, and know what's right. ahead of you and, and always be alert. Right. And and be able to adjust because I remember I can't remember
1: what they were before. But I know when the uh, March of Dimes started, they didn't start as a organization to help find a cure for um, premature babies. They started as something else. And when that became treatable, then they had to either close their organization or readjust and make their mission something else. And that's what they chose to do. Now they're the biggest organization out here when it comes to premature prevention or premature research. You know, so that's what you have to do. Your programs are your programs, and you want to um have your programs for longevity, granted. Mm -hmm. But if they have a cure for AIDS today, do you think all these AIDS foundations are going to close their doors? Heck no, they're going to adjust and what is the next wave? There's always some new disease popping up, and that's the bandwagon they're going to run on because if they don't do that, then they have to fire their entire staff yeah, and the money. Nobody's making money nowhere. So it's about adjusting,
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, so where, what, else, what are the other problems that we see? Housing. All, mm-hmm. all those things that started, that we had to start jumping on.
1: Exactly.
2: But hey, let's, let's look at some co Let's see what hepatitis C got to do with this. Maybe like, mm-hmm. some housing. Let's give you some housing stuff. Because you wanna be a, you wanna be flexible and that's why you have to the executive director is so important in the organization because I always say the executive director is supposed to be the smartest cookie in the cookie jar at the organization. Yep. you if anybody in your organization has a question about your population, you're supposed to be able to answer it. So it's Answering not just, off the bat. Yep. Yes. It's not just getting this, you know, taking your glamour shot and getting this uh-huh. getting this letter in your hand you have to educate yourself not only about the business of nonprofits, but about your population and those who are serving. if something is coming up if my if i've gone to my ceo and i was kind of on top of my game anyway because i like to read and stuff so i'm like i know something's happening right something's (laughs) going on but if i wasn't aware of that if my ceo at the time was not aware that the trends were changing she got to fire my whole department yep that was me at the time I had a little girl. We got to eat. <laughs> you know, I got, I got But I that's
1: got real that. life. That yeah. is real life. You have to stay on top of the trends. That is part of your job. And that's one of the reasons when you talked about, like, the ED should know. They should be the smartest cooking in the jar. They should know the demographics that they serve off the top of their head. That's mm-hmm. why I like to say before you even fill out one document for to start a nonprofit organization, you need to do a community survey a deep dive community survey that reflects whatever it is that your mission is going to be and see if it's valid does because you talked also about you know having working with organizations where they couldn't get funding in their state or their county because there really wasn't a need for it like you said their neighbor might have gotten pregnant so ooh. There's a teenage um, pregnancy problem in our neighborhood. Or maybe two girls. Maybe they have a pregnancy pack. You never know. <laughs> you know, They're but not. two people, exactly. But two people. Two... Your, son. your son,
2: might
1: stuck out the window. I don't know. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but two teenagers in your neighborhood becoming pregnant does not mean that you have a pregnancy problem in your community. You know, so you have to do that community research to validate that whatever it is that your mission is going to be, with, whatever populace you're going to serve, that there is a true need for the services that you provide. And that information needs to be housed here. Because at any point in time, if a potential donor who's going to fund some type of program is going to ask you the question, what are you going to say? Oh, hold up a minute. I need to go check the paperwork. You need to know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, that you is, have oh, to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like take um take developing your programs seriously. So Ty, if there were four things that you wanted, four big ideas or four, you know, things that you wanted our community to know
2: about developing programs, what would that be? My number one would be programs first. Mm-hmm. And I and I say that because yeah you know, we're just we're kind of just out there doing stuff, and we're wanting to start our nonprofits and we get the five oh one c three and we have nothing to really nothing to go on. When you're wanting funding, when you're looking for real solid funding, funders are gonna look at programs and they want to know what you are doing, what kind of impact you are you're making. So you know the events are good and fine for things like fundraisers and activities that you're gonna have. But focus on the programs and the whole process of the programs from onboarding to budget. How is that going to look? What is it going to look like? Who do you need on your team to get this program going? Create a timeline. Just like, just like you were saying before, just the strategic plan for the program. It's basically what you, programs first. Stop there before you do anything else. Don't come here talking about you want a grant and you ain't got no program. Because what are we going to write about? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't got nothing to write because you didn't show up with the program. And that, you know, and, and, and you would think, you know, that I'm just talking about having it on paper. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually starting to implement some things, at least some pilot things or some, you know, some focus groups or some case studies. So you can know that whatever it is that you're going, that you're planning to do in your program is going to produce some evidence-based results before you start going out here to these funders asking for money for stuff you don't know that's going to work or not. Okay. Um, that, that's just, you know, funding grants are not guaranteed, but when you can guarantee, when you can give me some evidence, it makes it better. And, and I've sat on review panels for grants and stuff and I've re- read both stuff. And I'm like, this don't make no sense. We're going to go on. And then there's some stuff that is just really well written. But when you do your further research into the organization, you find some shakiness going on. You're like, okay, that looks good. But this doesn't add up because if they say that they you know, their program is hundred thousand dollars, and I saw that last year their budget, their their financials say that they had four thousand dollars. How do they serve three hundred people with four thousand dollars if they're telling me they need hundred thousand dollars to serve That doesn't make sense. So programs first, and everything comes full circle from your inputs to your budget. Whatever you have in the inputs, whatever you need, should be reflected in your budget. So it shows up and you're not doing something random. Like you're asking them for a sports car, but you didn't say what you're going to need it for in your, in your inputs. We don't know what that's about. Um, number number two is to have a team. And I know you guys are like, you know, I'm doing this by myself. But if you are a public charity, this is supposed to be a public effort. So teams are very, very important. It's going to be very hard, if, especially if you're what I call a lone leader, trying to pull these programs together for impact if you're doing it by yourself, you know, if you gotta get some people to volunteer or whatever, it's gonna be hard to do. Um, girls and boys club is not run by one person. There's there's people and you want and, and another thing, number three, stop looking over there, you know, for and looking at what they look like right now and comparing it to where you are now because you're not in the same place, especially if you're a startup, a lot of times, and, and you know, just throw the whole Facebook away, you know, throw the whole Instagram out the window. Because a lot of times we're looking at other people's, you know, facade. You know, we're we we're, we're thinking that it's success because they're taking the glamour shots and it's all pretty and they, they they didn't tell you that that event they had was their cousin and their brother over in the corner of the room and they just have a picture of him, you think thinking people showing up. So this is a process. Programs are a process and it takes time to make it work. So they you know, the organization I talked about that I worked at. Um, they had been in existence twenty-something years before they got their first five million dollar grant, and you like at one time. So you're like, how did how? Why is that the case? You know, of course they were a million dollar organization, but their first just one, you know, five million dollars. They had been in in operation that long because first of all, because they were really slow about building it, but taking their time to get there. So a lot of things you have to work through the process. You have to understand what. Your programs are, and how you're going to implement them, who you're going to have on your team to walk that out with you. Um, how many things have to, I don't know how many things that was, but I'm not, you know. But <laughs> the other thing, in, and I don't know how many this is, but budgeting number four. Um, your budget for your programs. Yeah. Always make sure that they make sense first of all, and understand that when a funder is looking into your proposals, they not they don't only want to see that you're going to spend money because they already know you're spending money right? We already know the programs cost and that you got to pay for stuff. So that's your expenses. But how do I know that I got a good return on my investment as a funder? What is it that you're going to have in place in this program? That's going to grow this program. Like you were saying franchising, you know, but what's going to grow this program to that level that makes me confident enough to give you $500,000 knowing that I didn't waste my money. Because if I gave you my money this year, and I can't give you the money next year, or I don't want to give you the money next year, that doesn't mean that I want to waste it and say, hey, well, that's just $500,000 gone. I want to be able to look back at your organization 10 years from now and say, you know what? That money that I gave them really did help because they were able to grow. They knew how to make other connections. They knew how to make partnerships. They built upon what we gave them to create a bigger, better organization and to create a lasting impact. That's all I got.
1: Okay, great. Those are four great tips. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> I get like 50, like 765, and I forget. <laughs> okay, so tell um the audience where they can find you.
2: Oh, again, I am Ty Boone. My website is www.tyboonenterprises.com. I can also be found on Facebook at Ty Boone Enterprises and on Twitter and Instagram at Ty Boone LLC. All right. Any programs that you want to plug today? Oh, get plugged! I have my favorite program that I have is my finally funded nonprofit program. It is a uh, you know a month to month program, ninety seven dollars a month for this program. But what I do there, you know, it's a private community. We have accountability going on. I teach in there a weekly about fund development and how not to die. You see my shirt. This is like fund development. This is a coincidence. I usually wear my GoFund Yourself shirt. You know. But um, I I teach my my participants or my, my members in there about developing the funds they need for their organization, not just about, hey, you know, this is my 501c3, give me a grant. But what does it take to build your finances from the ground up and position yourself for the kind of funding that you have the potential for that that goes on in the group again. It's a month-to-month membership. It's my absolute favorite because it's kind of self-paced. Even though I'm in there fussing all the time, you know, we got, you know, just I started this group in January, and every day there's somebody wins something. And the thing is that, and I and I talk to people all the time. If you don't want to do the work, don't come to the group, right? <laughs> don't come, don't come to the group because you. The thing we're about results, but results will not happen unless you walk it out. There's work that has to be done. I do not believe in the funding theory. I tell everybody the funding fairy died in 1983 of natural causes. There's no funding fairy. There's mm-hmm. work that has to be done in nonprofit organizations. And I don't care who told you, you know, who made you believe that they're just going to be writing checks and giving granted when it's going to be fall sky. It's not going to work like that. So in my group, I teach about how to position yourself. That What do you do? If you're, if you're writing are writing letters, when should you write them? Right now we're talking about end of year giving what's that look like if you don't got who are you gonna send the letters to if you ain't got no donors like what do you do why are you waiting what what do you do how do you get them how do you build relationships Mm -hmm. because relationships matter all that stuff that goes before you get the money it goes before you get the money and that's how and you attract money into your organization by positioning yourself it's just it's Mm -hmm. not just gonna fall from the sky but that's my favorite thing um again that's you can you can find that on any one of my social media sites or you can go to the bit.ly link slash finally funded nonprofit.
1: Okay. Ty, thank you for being my guest today. And that's it for today. Until next time, right. nonprofiteers. Remember that there's someone in
0: Hey, nonprofiteers, if you're looking for one place where you can get all of the knowledge, skills, concepts, and strategies you need to take your nonprofit organization to the next level from an expert, then you need to head on over to TVA Consulting, where I have a plethora of courses and ebooks that you can choose from. The link is in the description. Okay, non that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that there's someone in your community counting on the services that your nonprofit organization offers, and it is your job to make sure that you get it right. Until next time, I'm Tracy V. Allen.